Hello everybody, welcome back to the Dragon's Library. So today we are talking about the Lost City, and this was actually pretty funny. I'm gonna be straight up here, I thought this was pretty good. Uh, not great, it's definitely like a filler movie, you go see this when you're, you know, something else you go see, but you're pleasantly surprised. So, uh, let's get on with the review. First up, a bit of context. So, The Lost City is an adventure movie currently in theaters as of uh, April of 2022, in case you're watching this some other time. And I saw a few trailers for this as some kind of parody of all those adventure Lost City things combined with sort of a parody of those romance novels you see on store shelves. And as a Barnes & Noble employee, I will have a bit more context for that later. So I was like, well, I don't really have any other major thing to review right now in between stuff, so let's go see it. And yeah, it was pretty good. Um, so that's all I have right now. Moving on to plot. So I'm going to give a brief overview of the plot. You know how things go. The Lost City follows Laura S.H. She is a uh, middle-aged author who writes basically those trashy romance novels you find in your uh, bookstore. Essentially, if you walk into a bookstore, go to the romance section, and you turn right, usually, you will see the, like, 30 different series that are ongoing at the moment by different writers that are all about some lady falling in love with some guy with a shirtless chest. And it will usually have that guy on the cover, shirtless, in front of whatever theme the movie has, or the book has. For this, for her series, she basically had, like, a archaeologist, you know, uh, woman who's constantly getting saved by this Indiana Jones type over and over again. And that's basically it. That's, that's, the, that's the entire joke. It's a parody. Essentially, the joke of that is her books are sort of like parodies of Indiana Jones style, old trashy romance novels. Um, although the book, it's a parody, not a satire, because the book, the movie does end up saying if people like these things, then, you know, they might as well be enjoyed. Anyway. Her, um, she has a fictional character in the series called Dash McMahon, 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 or whatever, and he's played by the cover model Alan, and she goes on tours with him and stuff like that. Anyway, she has a dead archaeologist husband. Some rich guy discovers that some of the things she wrote in her book, which were based on research her husband did, uh, is actually real, and so he wants to help her, her to help him find the lost crown of fire in the lost city. So they go to an Atlantic island, and that's your plot. You know, the cover model, the cover, the cover model and her stranded in a jungle trying to figure out where the lost city is. It's essentially a standard, um, adventure movie plot, but through the lens of people who are not qualified to be an adventure movie, think, Indiana Jones, but when he goes, or Juma, or like, you know, any of those other standard adventure movies, but when they go through the river, uh, and they get out, they suddenly notice there are leeches on the back of them, and they're like, it's like, you know, what if, what if horses tried to, uh, go out there? It's like, that, that's cool me. This is how I would react if I were stranded in a jungle. Actually, I'd probably react way worse. I would not get in that water if it were the last thing on earth, because holy shit, there are horrible things crawling around in that water. I want nothing to do with it. I'm impressed they walked through that. <laughs> um, all in all, it's very fun. So, yeah, I like it. So, moving on to characters. We have Sandra Bullock as Loretta and Je Loretta, Loretta. She's, yeah, she's fun. The opening scene with her is pretty interesting. It's basically her writing her novel, and it's like, 
the main characters are tied up, you know, her novel with herself as the main character are tied up in a pit surrounded by snakes. The villain gloats over them and she's like, wait, how did how they get all the snakes here? Are they just like here? It's like, eh, delete. And the snakes vanish. Uh, and the main villain's like, oh, wait, uh, I think I'm still essential to the plot. Delete, 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 delete. And the entire world vanishes and she's sitting down writing. It's actually a really cool opening scene. If only I wanted to you know, be a phobe. And snakes did not terrify the living shit out of me, and I wasn't watching it through my hands like a fucking child. Uh, sorry about that. I am utterly terrified of snakes, even from a distance like that. They just creep me out in ways I've never been able to rationalize, so <sighs> that's how it goes. Anyway, after that, we have Channing Tatum as Alan slash Dash. He is the kind of, like, you know, himbo cover model. Um, he's interesting. He's fun. I kind of like uh, when he finally goes over, like, like Lorez talking about how, you know, like, I know exactly who you are. Uh, you know, I'm the girl who wanted to do more with her writing and ended up writing a, a dumb romance novels. And you're the guy who couldn't make hack in Hollywood and ended up doing the first job he was offered, which happened to be a lucrative cover deal that he was able to get 30 books out of. We both didn't end up in a great spot. Um, and there's a bit of thing in there where he's like, look, when I first got this job, you're kind of right. But when I first got this job, I was so embarrassed. I did not speak to anyone else I knew from my hometown for months because I was afraid that they'd find out what kind of book I had cover, I had uh, posed for the cover of. Until a fan walked up to me, told me how much it meant to her, and I realized I was actually making people happy, so I decided to go with it and actually start enjoying my life. Maybe you could try it. Um... Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think it's very fun. Uh, you also, so moving on from that, you have, uh, Daniel Radcliffe. He's playing Abigail Fairfax, who is the eccentric billionaire, you know, who kidnaps her. Uh, he has this whole, I, I kind of like it because you get his whole backstory without him ever actually getting a chance to explain it. Cause every time he tries to fully explain his backstory, he gets interrupted or sidestepped by other characters. Uh, and essentially his younger brother was a suck up. And so instead of him, the older brother, inheriting his family business, you know, he was basically uh, cut off and he's been working on this project because he knew his parents were going to choose his suck up younger brother to run the company. So he's kind of cut off and he's running out of money. So he wants to find the crown of fire so he can be, you know, rich again and rub it in his brother's face. Um, moving on from that, we have Divine Joyd Randolph as Beth Hannett. Hannett? She's Laura's publisher. Uh, you also have Patty Harrison as Al Allison. She's Laura's social media manager. She only pops up in a few scenes, though. Then you have Oscar. He's like an eccentric cargo pilot. He's played by Oscar Nuzzle. Uh, and Brad Pitt as Jack Trainer. And he's basically... So, when they initially realized Loretta's gotten kidnapped, uh, they call in, like, this ex, you know, ex-military, uh, he was, like, you know, mercenary. He goes to hunt people down. He's essentially your standard movie pilot. Basically, if this wasn't a parody, he'd be uh, Loretta's savior protagonist, essentially. Uh, going on the adventure to discover the city. You know, he's like uh, the badass who sneaks into the enemy camp before anyone goes in there, takes people down instantly without anyone hearing anything. You know, your standard movie badass. I love how there's a thing now. We just have standard movie badasses lying around in parody movies. It's fun. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, they called him up because uh, Alan had gone to a yoga class with them. So that's that's I just love how that's how they met. 
Anyway, he goes to rescue her. Alan tags along because he had to bring her him the phone that they're using to track her smartwatch. On you go to the adventure. So the overall plot of this is a pretty standard, you know, uh, the bad guy kidnaps her after an introductory setup. You go on, you know, they, they kidnap her, ask her to decode some stuff. She gets rescued. They escape. They do some exploring. They run into the bad guy a few times. They re, they finally get kidnapped and dragged to the fi- the final resting place. Shenanigans ensue as they all try and escape. You know, true treasure, yada, yada, yada. You've seen this plot a dozen times. But it's essentially a comedic run-through of the plot that most will find refreshing and at least enjoyable. Like, this is definitely a popcorn movie, but it's a fun popcorn movie that knows what the hell it is, so I'll give that points. I mean, I like the new Jumanji reboot because of that. It was just a fun movie. Not everything has to be, like, a big artistic piece. Like, I love things like, um, heck, the Attack on Titans recent seasons have been really good and delving into the effects on war on the human psyche and the never-ending cycle of violence and how it draws in younger people. I will be talking about that, by the way. Uh, not this year, because apparently Attack on Titans decided to need to wait another year, and no, I'm not letting that go. It was really annoying. Calm yourself, Davis. Calm yourself. Anyhow... Not everything has to be a deep meditation on, uh, you know, inherent human flaw or part of the human condition. Sometimes, you can just have a fun movie. Now, it's not to say this doesn't have a deeper message. There's something about... Uh, they actually do an interesting twist with where why the tomb is hidden that I think is very impressive because uh, it makes more sense than a lot of other... This, like, this movie makes more sense than a lot of movies that it's parodying. And that's kind of what's funny about it. <laughs> like, if everything happened logically, this is how most of those movies would play out. Even with some of the badasses. It's just like, even if Indiana Jones was doing this, is kind of how it should be playing out. But, um, all in all, yeah, it's fun. I mean, I don't really have much more to say on this. It's just a fun popcorn movie. So, I'll give this an 8 out of 10. It's good at what it's doing. You know? It's not the best popcorn movie I've ever sat through. Like, it's not perfect. There are definitely some pacing issues uh, near the beginning, I think. Well, not near the beginning. The beginning moves really quickly. The middle has a bit of pacing issues. Yeah, after they get free and they do the whole motorcycle thing, there's still a little weird pacing there. Where they're kind of just sitting around waiting for the plot to take them over. Um, they do actually have a decent amount of momentum, though, so I'm not going to say it's that big of a problem. I also just think it's a little light. Like, there's just not much meat on its bones. Um, and it's a short parody movie, so again, I feel like I might be judging it too harshly. But I just didn't... Like, I liked it, but I didn't love it. So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. That's my personal opinion. If you're different on it, that's cool. I'm that You were listening to my opinion, so I don't know what you want me to tell you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, moving on from that, you have my final ratings. We're going to move on to the spoiler section. Okay, I got some jokes to spoil. So, if you, uh, want to, you know, laugh at these, go watch the movie first. Don't know. That's your, that's your business, not mine. So, first up, we got some funny things. Anyway, uh, first thing that happened that was really funny, they had this whole scene with, you know, the snakes and delete, delete, delete. I already mentioned that one. Uh, immediately afterwards, the publisher starts calling her, asking when she's going to finish the book, and <laughs> uh, she's like, Loretta, you can't just sit in your bathtub uh, drinking Chardonnay while eating ice, and she's just like, spits out, she's holding, she's in like a bubble bath with a 
big old wine glass and lots of ice in it. She's literally sucking on a piece of ice right then. She just spits it out and is like, you don't know me. <laughs> she doesn't say that, but the look she gives is just, yeah, you don't know me. What the hell are you talking about? Just because I'm shooting you here with a Chardonnay does that mean I'm, you know, doing that all the time? This is just something I do now. <laughs> uh, Beth is really fun. She kind of reminds me of, oh god, what was the best friend's name from uh, Get Out? Don't mess with the TSA. Uh, uh, yeah. She reminds me of that. Mostly because she just comes in like low-key saves them at the end after having to deal with some BS the whole time. Uh, uh, I, I, love it, I love it when the, the com- kind of comedic side character comes in and is like, yeah, I'm the one saving your asses. Because you guys were too busy being serious to think of how you were going to get out of this alive. <laughs> also, she's got a lot on the line. She just really needs to take a break and go on vacation. Like, that's actually how it ends. It's like, literally, they just go on vacation. And uh, Beth is just like, I needed this. It's like, yeah, you did, girl. You you managed an entire freaking book tour. Then you had to go to some Atlantic island, going on some cargo plane with a lot of birds and a goat. In order to save your best friend, in order to save your writer and her cover model. And it's just like, yeah, you deserve a rest after that. Good for you. Enjoy. Uh, it's all, it's all this, you know, ridiculous fun. I love how, uh, there, there's the thing with the social media. Oh, right after Beth. So what happens is she goes to, uh, get, she's like, you know, trying to leave and she goes to pull my car around because she's leaving the first book, you know, uh, She's leaving the first part of their book tour where they had this little interview and it all got ruined because Alan's wig fell off and everything. And it's just, she was just like not in the mood to do all this. She's, one thing that I like about Loretta is that she's kind of done with this series when she starts it. Like, she's just like, look, I've done 30 of these books. I just want to move on and do literally anything else. And yeah, that makes sense. She's creative. She wants to write about something else and she feels stuck in the series. But the series has a lot of fans and it makes a lot of money. So her publisher wants her to do, you know, more of these, please. Um, and she's just tired. Like her husband died not that long ago. She's doesn't really like interacting with Alan. They just don't have a great chemistry in the movie yet. Uh, I don't know about, you know, in real life. And it's just. It's just one of those things where they're just like, I'm just done with this. And she even like finishes the last one where the characters don't even go into the tomb and she just kind of half has the last scene. It's like, and, and one of the, uh, and the interviewer in the book tour is like, and I'm very impressed at how you chose to end the series. Bold move choosing to not have them go inside and see the treasure. And it's just like that moment of like, I'm trying to praise you, but this last book feels like you're phoning it in. It's like, yes, because I was phoning it in. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, you can almost feel the tension in the interview through all the great teeth. Anyway, after she storms out, uh, you see, she asks for a car to be brought around. And you see this uh, guy slowly shuffling behind. It's like, all right, bring the car around. Uh, for the rich billionaire. And obviously she gets in. She's like, this is my car? Yep, thanks. And, you know, she hops in. And then suddenly she's surrounded two sides by very strong men. Uh, and she's like, let me out, let me out, let me. And she doesn't like scream anything. She's panicking. And then as the window rolled up, Alan comes by and sees her getting dragged off very much on one. She's like, come on. Um, and in a normal action venture movie, this is where you'd have a car chase scene, right? Well... The car, her car gets brought around by the chauffeur. And Alan's like, sir, 
I'm with Dolores Sage. I need you to give me that car. She's being driven off. It's like, no, 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 no. The last time I listened, no, I almost lost my job the last time I listened to a beautiful man. Never again. And he just rolls up the window. It's like, what, Lara Sage? Lara Sage. It's like, no, you idiot. She's getting dragged off. And I just love that because it's always weird how it actually movies. They're just like, I need this car. And the guy's like, gets out of the car. And it's like, no, no. Most chauffeurs would not do that. They would lose their job. <laughs> no one's doing that for you. What do you think? Who do you think you are? Um... And you just have little jokes like that. You have the leech joke where they have to, like, pull the leeches off. There's a little thing where Alan turns out to be, like, hydrophobic. I forget what it's called. It's a skin condition where water can cause the skin to become really irritated. Uh, that's an actual thing, by the way. So, it's it's really good laden with jokes. Lots of fun stuff. Uh, all the things with Alan trying to, like, not be, you know, not trying to show off how he can rescue Loretta and be there for her. Uh, after, while the, you know, action hero Jack is there, and it's just like, dude, why do you keep hitting the people after I knock them out and drop them down? It's like, well, I'm trying to knock them out too. Yeah, but you're not knocking them out. I already knocked them out. You're just hitting them. That's just rude. Like, we're, we're knocking these people out so we can rescue somebody. We're not trying to actively hurt them if we can help it. Um, <laughs> just have little things like that is hilarious. The car chase ends with her, uh, Alan, uh, Jack immediately gets shot in the head after, uh, after when they're about to get rescued, he's like calming her down, and Alan's just like, "Well, you should calm her down." And she's like, "Oh yes," and they're really this romantic moment. And then it just bam! Oh my god, I think I have brains in my mouth. Uh, and so Alan ends up having to shove her into the little minivan, like it's one of those like tiny, tiny smart car things you see in Japan. Um, he has to shove her in there while she's still tied to the chair because they're being shot at. Oh, uh, that whole that whole scene is just great. Um, but aside from that, you know, aside from some funny jokes and nice, interesting things, the coolest part is actually a really kind of interesting subversion of the lost temple trope. Cause see one of the, the billionaire makes this big old statement of like, why would they hide this? Surely the rulers who are buried here wanted, would want their people to come and view their greatness at all times. Like, yeah, weren't a lot of the monuments built so people could, like, honor them forever? Why are, why are all these monuments hidden in these, like, hidden alcoves or buried underground? Turns out, this one is because the queen wanted to honor her husband in private. She didn't want to make an affair of it. She wanted to be alone with him. Uh, and so she lived here in a small hut nearby until she was ready to die and she crawled into the tomb and joined him. Like, it was literally a situation of, I want to be left alone to grieve my husband. Which is kind of where Loretta is, so it's, you know, it's resonant with the overall character arcs of Loretta growing to open up again and get together with Alan. Don't really buy that, I kind of like them better as just, like, friends or whatever, but then again, I don't get romance in general, so whatevs. Anyhow, um, and then the whole joke about how the crown of fire was actually made of red seashells that were extremely rare on the island, uh, but are kind of worthless in real money. And the whole thing was like, it wasn't, it was valuable because her husband spent a whole year gathering one shell every day until he was ready to, until she was ready to marry him. And it's like, oh, that's sweet. You know, an active gesture of going to grab all these things, spending all this time, you know, effort plus time, I guess. Um, but the billionaire is like, no, but it's worthless. It's like, well, it's actually a, probably a valuable archaeological find. Like the, the seashells still look like they're intact too, from what we saw. So we could probably still sell that. Like that's probably still a priceless heirloom. I don't know what you're, 
upset about, dude. Like, you still found the crown of fire. It's still real. Archaeologically, that thing's worth millions, the bare minimum. It's something to sneeze at. I mean, sure, going from a billionaire to a millionaire is probably not great, but, I mean, you're still richer than most people on Earth, so get over yourself. Um, He doesn't get into the end, so, yeah. Anyway. All in all, this is a pretty fun movie with some interesting twists on the established formula and quite frankly a more coherent plot than a lot of other, uh, you know, lost civilization, treasure hunt, adventure action movies. So, yeah, I'd recommend you go see it. There's not really anything better out right now. Um, I still have been putting off going to see the freaking Fantastic Beast movie because I really, really don't want to see that. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I'm going to because I don't hate myself enough to sit through a third one of those. I sat through the other two because I kept hoping that maybe... J- J.K. Rowling would get her groove back, but recent years has long since taught me to stop giving a shit what J.K. Rowling's doing. So, you know what? Last Fantastic Beast movie, you can go shove off somewhere else. Next movie I'm reviewing, if I'm reviewing anything, is the Choose or Die movie from Netflix. Because I actually watched that, and I have some interesting thoughts about that, um, compared to what a lot of the critical response has been. So, yeah. Alright, everybody, I will see you next time. If you're watching this on YouTube or any of the podcast hosting sites, be sure to check me out on YouTube for streaming every Tuesday and Thursday that I feel like it. I am back to streaming normally. Currently, if you're listening to my podcasting site, I will be just starting with The Great King, Cruel King and The Great Hero. If not, I will have already done two two uh, streams of that. So maybe check it out. It's going to be a fun RPG where the evil dragon king, uh, you know, the evil demon dragon king raises the great hero who will one day stand for the people and overthrow him. And it's just this, you know, sweet evil monster raising a cute child thing that I've always been a fan of. I don't know why it's just always tickled me. So I'm looking forward to that. In addition, I have a few different shows upcoming. Uh, there's this new Polish one about supernatural students in a weird college fighting uh, Slavic monsters that's been tickling a few mythology vibes for me. So check that out sometime soon. And uh, yeah, see you guys next time. Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and thank you for listening to The Dragon's Library. Please, subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. The Dragon's Library releases new episodes Tuesday and Friday each week, and you can follow us Twitter at dragon underscore library two. If you want to suggest an episode topic, my email is in the description below. As always, thank you so much for all your support.